How can you support your child's mental health and wellness? Are there warning signs that your child may be struggling? What are some ways to help your child cope with anxiety or depression? All that and more on this episode of Because They're Kids. Kids aren't little adults. They're built differently, physically and emotionally. That's why we launched a podcast built just for kids and their parents. As a parent myself, I know how important it was as my children were growing up to prioritize their mental well-being. Today, we're diving into mental health in kids and how you can support your child's mental health and wellness. Here to talk about children's mental health are my guests, Dr. Monica Lancelotti, a pediatrician with LVPG Pediatrics Pond Road, and Thess Gottschalk, Director of Children's Hospital School-Based Behavioral Health Program. Monica, Thess, welcome to the show. Thanks for having us. Thank you for having us. Happy to be here. Why does mental health and well-being of our youth matter? I think as parents, we certainly want our children to be healthy, successful adults, and supporting their mental health and well-being is vital to have that. Absolutely. And I think that uh, mental health is just a, a, an integral component of well-being. And so it's important to start those conversations in the family home as young as possible. That's great. So what's the difference between mental health and wellness and mental illness. I know that's something that we hear a lot about, but what really is the difference between them? So mental health refers to our overall emotional, psychological well-being. Mental illnesses are diagnosable mental health conditions. Everyone has mental health, but not everyone receives a diagnosis involving mental illness. Right. I would agree with that. And how does one go about Getting those answers as a parent, is your child just unruly? Are they having a bad day? When do you know that you need to reach out for that additional help and advice? Well, that's a really great question. And I think that can be complicated by youth itself and a child who's moving through the stages of development. Um, but if you're, you're, you're sensing some changes, you're seeing your child maybe doing different things, maybe retreating, withdrawing, um, or just making choices they wouldn't normally make, I think that um, then you can really start to look at maybe consulting a professional. And then how do you, how do you impact your child's health and well-being? What are some things you can do to promote mental health, but also be on the lookout for some of those changes or challenges? I think as a parent, it's really important to have an open conversation with your children, to be there available one-on-one to kind of be their advocate and also to support them in any changes that are going on in their lives. Um, So keeping that open conversation, I think, is vital to support their mental health. That's great. I think being a great listener is important, but as a parent, you kind of want to solve the problems that your children have. So how do you balance that, be a good listener, but not try and solve the problems that they're teeing up to you? Uh, again, that's that's a really um, big challenge, I think, for parents. Uh, we want to try to solve the problems, like you said, before they happen or as they're happening. And so uh, when I talk to parents, I'll often say, listen non-judgmentally as much as you can. Um, your brain may be working and 
thinking of solving problems, but it's really important in that moment to just um, listen and listen attentively. So um, nodding your head, making eye contact, putting aside distractions that you may have like cell phones or, um, you know, work, you know, if you can put that aside and devote the time to the conversation, um, that's, that's very helpful. And as you're being that non-judgmental listener, what if they say something that's startling or worrisome? How, what do you do next when you hear something like that? So I think trying to compose yourself in the moment is, is really difficult as a parent, but is really important to try to take a deep breath and, you know, acknowledge their feelings, acknowledge what they're saying to you and um, tell them that you want to help them and that you know ways to help them. So how do you know when your child is struggling emotionally? So I, I think um, you might see big changes, um, changes in mood, changes in behavior. Um, you can see self-harming behavior sometimes, uh, so self-injury. Uh, and again, some kids are doing that already. Um, again, not that it's a, a healthy uh, behavior, but some kids are already in that. So you may be seeing um, some self-harm behavior, unexplained changes in weight, unexplained changes um, in eating patterns or sleeping patterns. All of those um, things become very important. But I would I would also say trust your gut. So if you don't, if you if you're looking at your child and you're thinking, I think something's different. I think something's wrong. Uh, even if you can't put your finger on it, it's a good time to have a conversation or maybe seek out professional help. So that's really when when something is different enough. That's when you reach out for that extra help. Yes, absolutely. So, you know, you know your child best. And certainly if you feel like your child is just not acting like they way, the way they normally would, um, having a conversation with that child to start and then seeking help if you feel like there's some warning signs. And if you feel that, you feel like you need help, where do you get that help? Where do you go? Is it the emergency room? Is it your pediatrician? Where is that help available? So if your child is not in an active suicidal threat, then starting with your child's doctor or pediatrician is a great first step. If there is a concern that they have an active, you know, suicide risk, then they should be seen in the emergency room at that time. And is that a 911 call? Is that a get in your car and drive call? It depends on the degree of threat, I would say. I mean, use your judgment in that moment, but if you're really concerned for your child's safety, you can utilize 911. Yeah. Uh, there's also the 988 Suicide Prevention Lifeline. So if you are uncertain or feeling like you need a little more help to even make that decision, um, you can call the 988 Lifeline or your local county crisis can also be helpful in that, in that way. So calling them, um, you don't have to be the suicidal person calling. You can be a person who's helping that person. So as a parent helping a child, uh, you can call and just, you know, Talk to the talk about the situation with them, and and maybe get some help in that moment for that judgment call. That's great. And is that a twenty four hours a day, seven day a week? Yes, number that is twenty four hours a day, seven days a week. Great. Yeah, that's wonderful. So, how often should you talk to your children about mental health, mental wellness? I know, I would often get like, "Mom, I know, I know." So. Where, where do you draw that line between being too pushy, talking about it too much, or not enough? 
I think it's important to talk often. I mean, certainly you don't want to be asking them multiple times a day how they're feeling, but having one-on-one conversations with your child on a regular basis is important Um, and making sure that they know that they can always come to talk to you Mm -hmm. if they need to talk about something. One activity we do in my household is just at the dinner table, sitting around and talking about a sunshine or positive experience that we had that day and a cloudy or not so positive experience. And that really helps foster conversation in our household. Oh, I love that sunshine and cloudy. That's very, that's great. It's great. So how can you nurture your child with their mental health and their well-being? What are some activities or things like the sunshine and cloudy day that you can do to really nurture them, help them grow, help them be mindful and well? I, and I, Monica, I love that as well. Such a great activity and just fostering communication. And I think it's more activities like that. Um, I often say modeling is important. So Um, recognizing as a parent or a caregiver your own mental health, um, seeking help for yourself if you need it, or in moments of stress, um, seeking out um, activities that help you. Just modeling that can be a a wonderful thing for your your children to see. Uh, And also how you approach mental health um, and your perspective on mental health. So even without talking directly, you can... um, encourage maybe a child to feel comfortable with that conversation. Um, I say as an example, if your child has a friend who's struggling, um, your perspective on that, um, saying, you know, boy, I, I really hope your friend gets help. It's really important to get help if you're struggling with your mental health. You know, that that opens the door for conversation so that if they are feeling um or experiencing difficulty in in the future or at any point, they'll feel comfortable coming to you to have that conversation. So I think it's really, that's a really important piece. And then like, again, Monica, I go back to your activity, that that incorporating mental health discussion into everyday discussion, you know? So just like you'd say, did you sleep well? Um, Are you hungry, right? How are you feeling emotionally? How are you doing today? Did anything stressful happen today in your day? All of those things can be great ways to bring mental health into the conversation without really being very on point and direct, which can sometimes be uncomfortable um, if it's the first time you're having that discussion. So that sounds like some really good ways to support your kids emotionally, really help them feel comfortable with the topic. What are some other ways that whether they're struggling or even if they're not struggling, how do you continue to provide that support to them? I think just being present, you know, Mm -hmm. present to them, having those moments where we take away our electronic devices and give each other attention um, is very, very important. Offering support, but also fostering independence is very important um, for children. Um, As parents, we set the boundaries in our household, um, but we also can offer that sense of independence and safety um, to them as well. So I think all of those factors can play a big part in how parents can play a role in fostering that well-being. That's great. And I I liked how you said really be present because you could be on your phone or writing or cooking or doing different things and you're not really present if you're doing that. So you're saying stop what you're doing, which is probably good for us too, right? And actually sit and pay attention. Yeah. Yeah. 
I feel like there are many times where if if you do that and you have that pause, everyone comes out of that feeling like they're really happy that that happened. You know, um, I'm glad we took this break. I'm glad we, I'm glad we had this conversation. Um, so so it really is a good thing, even if it seems, you know, in the beginning, it can be difficult to put things down when you're in the middle of, of, of everything, um, especially as a parent. Um, but that time is always is always going to have positive return, I would say to you. For um, everybody. For mm-hmm. everybody, yeah. Right, yeah. right. Absolutely. Yeah, we can all use a little downtime, right? Yeah, <laughs> absolutely. <laughs> Always. So let's talk a little bit about mental illness. How does mental illness affect mental health? So uh, mental illness, when you're talking about mental illness, I would say like mental health is like being on the road, right? We're on the road, on this road of our mental health. And sometimes we get off of that road. We kind of um, start to veer off and get into the bumps and get into the maybe the brush. And, and that's really what I feel like mental illness is, is um, your mental health is, is there's negative impact on your mental health to the point where it's impacting your daily life in ways that are um, pretty intrusive. So uh, in kids, I think we see sometimes school avoidance, uh, lots of anxiety, I think we see some self-injury. So all of those um, can sort of start, start to lean into this mental health is negatively impacting, my mental health is negatively impacting my life, my ability to do things or interact with my friends or my loved ones. Um, that's really, I think, when you, you start to go down the road of mental illness interfering with um, daily life. And for a kid, since they're a kid, they may not even realize that this is impacting what should be their more normal way of living, right? Yeah. So as a physician, how do you figure that out with parents and their kids when they when they show up? What is how do you know when it's that mental illness versus the just a, a bump in the road? So certainly mental illness is something that should be persistent, right? It should be something that's really impacting everyday function. Um, and in many cases should be present for at least a couple weeks mm-hmm. to make a true diagnosis. Mm-hmm. Um, I think as pediatricians, we do a lot of screening tools as part of our well visits. And so starting at age 12 at all well visits, we do screen for depression using um, existing tools. Um, and so that can kind of help us gauge whether your child does need some intervention or some assistance with handling mental illness. Um, And if there's any concern that a parent brings, we have other tools in place as well to address other mood disorders um, and to screen for them. So you're looking for it even if a parent hasn't brought it to your attention. Absolutely. We, We look for it in everyone. And in children and teens, what are the common mental illnesses and disorders that you do see? So the most common ones would be um, ADHD or ADD, um, so issues with attention focus. Um, And then we have the mood disorders like anxiety, depression, and bipolar disorder. And do you often see many of them together? So yes, many of them can coexist like anxiety and depression. Um, Many children that have ADD or ADHD can also suffer from anxiety. So they can correlate together. Mm -hmm. And what do you think is the most misdiagnosed mental illness in children? Well, 
I think that uh, we see a lot in our in our school based behavioral health program of kids that are are labeled as defiant sometimes, um, or oppositional defiant disorder is the de- technical diagnosis, but um, that they're having some amount of defiance or they're not listening or they don't want to listen. And I-, I think a lot of that often comes down to an undiagnosed attention disorder, mm-hmm. sometimes an anxiety disorder or a depressive disorder, um, sometimes even a learning disorder um, can make oh, a child appear yeah. to be resistant. Um, so so I, I believe really strongly it's that it's diagnosing defiance or that um, oppositional defiant disorder that really sometimes is um, overdiagnosed when there are underlying issues that we're not looking at. Sure. As a society, I think we've gotten much better about talking about mental health and mental illness, but there still is a stigma that goes along with it. So when your child is diagnosed with mental illness or a disorder, how do you explain it to them so that they understand that it's something that they can work on and grow from and not take it as a negative label? So I think I would look at it kind of like physical illness, right? So, I mean, certainly there is physical illness. We get injuries or, you know, something just doesn't work quite right in our body. And so we have to go to the doctor to kind of address that issue. Well, the same thing with mental illness. There's something not quite right with how we're thinking or behaving. And and we need some help to kind of get us on the path again and and to grow from this. But I think just trying to keep a positive outlook on things, to be supportive and to know that, um, you know, there's a lot of people, there are a lot of kids that are dealing with the same issue. And, you know, we will learn something from this experience and and learn to grow, um, you know, through our childhood. That's great. So let's talk a little bit about anxiety. That was one of the top ones on the list. What are signs of anxiety in kids and adolescents? So I would say that we see a lot of fear, Mm -hmm. uh, a lot of worry, um, and then that can manifest itself in in physical symptoms as well. So um, maybe nail biting, um, chewing on their fingers or picking at their skin, um, you know, inability to focus or concentrate can also be another sign of anxiety. So they're they're so in their head or just, um, you know, feeling so nervous that they really can't concentrate on what's in front of them. Uh, so, so those are all signs um, that we see there can be difficulty with sleeping, uh, maybe not being able to get to sleep because of worry or stay asleep. Um, maybe they're having nightmares even, um, stress dreams. Uh, all of those, I think, can be signs of anxiety, kids. And I think sometimes for children in particular, they'll present with somatic complaints. Mm -hmm. So more like bodily complaints like headaches or belly pain or even chest pain and and trying to tease out, you know, where those those symptoms are coming from. And do you often see that that's the reason they show up at your office with the physical symptom and then... Absolutely. And then you kind of talk more to the child, even one-on-one, and you uncover that there's more behind that. And I understand there's lots of different types of anxiety. Can you talk a little bit about the different types that exist? So generalized anxiety disorders, one form of anxiety disorder. Um, So this can manifest itself in perfectionistic sort of behavior, just generally feeling like things are overwhelming or out of your control. 
Um, that there's uh, separation anxiety. So this is obviously separation from a, a parent or a loved one. Um, and that can, can come with upset, tearfulness. I think we experience a lot of kids who are coming to school for the first time who are ex experiencing some of this, mm -hmm. um, you know, having that difficulty separating from a parent especially having just been through the pandemic, um, very scary times for, for some of our younger kids. And, and so now they're feeling even more um, resistant to that separation. So that can promote a lot of anxiety. Uh, and then social anxiety as well. So anxiety from in social settings, you know, so going into a classroom full of kids or having to give a speech or a presentation, um, those things um, can make, um, be really, really challenging for kids who have a social anxiety disorder. Uh, selective mutism, um, just um, almost um, being mute in some situations. So mm -hmm. um, not not speaking. Um, in, in, in situations where you'd expect yes, someone you to expect be able to speak. a response, yeah. Like if you're on a podcast. Exactly. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it can be that. <laughs> so... In kids, obviously, separation, that would be something that would trigger the anxiety, the social anxiety coming into a room with other kids. With the generalized anxiety, what are some of the triggers? And as a parent, if you know your child has one of these different types of anxiety, how can you think through how to best protect them in those situations or give them the tools to manage through? So I think certainly those anxieties can be triggered by different transitions, like moments of transition. So, you know, changes that happen with just the school year or transitions from the school year to summertime can be difficult. Um, major life changes like family structure, such as divorce occurring, the death of a loved one, or some sort of traumatic experience can trigger anxiety. And I think certainly coping mechanisms are important to have in place to help your child. And, and that can certainly come from a healthcare professional, like a therapist or a, a counselor, to give them strategies to help them through those times. That's great. And at what age does, is anxiety age-dependent? Could you be two or three and have anxiety, or does it only show up as you're older? Is it is there an age where it starts? I, I wouldn't say there there really is. I, I think the the thing with anxiety, but I would say all all mental illness is that there's there's no discrimination in who it's happening to, and so kids as young as two and three mm -hmm. um, can really experience some measure of anxiety. You can see that in kids just that young, and then certainly as they're getting older, you might see more of that um, perfectionistic behavior, tearfulness, nervousness, worry about doing things independently. Um, I always say for school age children, um, going back to what you said, Monica, mm -hmm. lots of trips to the school nurse. Mm -hmm. um, oh, so, yeah. you know, not feeling well. Uh, but yes, yeah, certainly any age, it can be any age. Yeah. And does the treatment vary by age? How, how do you treat anxiety? I mean, I think the approach is fairly similar. Um, I would say initially it's I think an important step to, to incorporate would be some form of therapy. So that um, can be with 
through a school-based counselor or a psychologist. Um, it could be through just a um, behavioral therapist um, and certainly talking to your child's pediatrician or um, healthcare provider for a list of resources. Um, one specific resource we have locally here at Lehigh Valley Health Network um, is um, a group of pediatric embedded therapists um, that work through our pediatric offices to provide just short-term therapy resources for um, children and their families. So that's a great first step. Um, and then certainly medication is something that we can always discuss if mm -hmm. necessary as well. So you start with therapy and then work from there. Yes. That's great. Now, what if, what if, Anxiety goes untreated. What does that potentially lead to? Well, I, I really think then that, that you're going to see more and more impact on daily life. Um, so, you know, this is when you're going to see major changes. I think, like, again, we talk about that school avoidance for school-age children, um, maybe poor academic performance. They're just not able to focus and concentrate. Um, they may have difficulty with their interpersonal relationships. So maybe they're like being invited to, to a birthday party or, or um, a group activity and they don't want to go. Uh, so they're withdrawing from things. So all of those can be, um, can be impact of anxiety. And what are some things when your child is experiencing anxiety, what are some things that you could do to help them through it, help them manage through that, that moment when it's actually happening? So there's certainly like grounding techniques that can be helpful to just kind of identify different things that you can um, perceive through your senses to kind of help you ground yourself in that moment. And then I really like just breathing techniques, um, taking three deep breaths to kind of help calm your bodily response um, during those anxious moments. That's great. Yeah. And they have, um, if you if you even go on YouTube, they have lots of videos, Sesame Street videos, even for younger kids to talk about mm -hmm. how to breathe, um, taking a pause or like those grounding exercises, Monica, you were talking about um, maybe three, three things you see three things you um, hear and three things you smell, right? Like, so you can, you know, ground that way, right? Bring yourself back to the present and um, kind of focus on the here and now. And uh, I think that also it's helpful, especially in the beginning for parents or for educators, wherever, uh, who's ever in the environment with that child at the time to help them like almost co-regulate. So to, to help them to do that, to teach them how to do that. Sometimes you're doing that with them, you know, so uh, kindergarten, even younger than kindergarten, I'd say you can co-regulate. You can sit with them and say, can you take a deep breath? Do you feel it in your tummy? Can you, can you hold it there? And then, um, okay, now let's release our breath. And you're doing that with them to teach them that skill. Oh, that's great because you might say, take a deep breath, but if I'm a kindergartner, I may not know what a deep breath really means. So that's awesome. Yeah. Great. All right. Well, let's switch our topic to depression, another one that was on your list. So as a parent, how do you know? Is your child just sad and having a bad day or are they struggling with depression? What's the difference? What are some of the signs? So certainly everyone feels moments of sadness or feeling down at some point in their lives. Um, but the concern would be um, if this is impacting daily function and in the case of depression, if it's been present for more than two weeks on a daily basis. Um, and different signs of depression, um, most commonly you can see disruptions in sleep. 
um, a lack of interest in doing things that they previously really enjoyed doing. Um, they could have feelings of guilt, um, changes in energy levels, so a lack of energy, um, and difficulty concentrating at school or at home, um, changes in appetite. Um, and then obviously um, the warning sign of, of feelings of thoughts of suicide. Mm-hmm. Okay, so what are some things that can cause depression in youth? What what is it something that happens to them that really brings this on? What are some of the causes? So I think certainly genetics can play a role in it in certain respects. Um, if a parent or um, a family member has a mental disorder, a child can be at increased risk for developing that disorder as well. Um, and then certain you know, life experiences, trauma, in particular bullying, I think can be a big risk factor um, for bringing on depression, especially amongst teens. And if you notice some of these signs, how can you help your child with depression? What are what are some options that are available? So I think um, open dialogue, like we were talking about earlier, is very, very helpful. Uh, I say sometimes to parents, I noticed is a great way to start. I noticed. I noticed you're not hanging out with your friends as often. Or I noticed... You haven't been to soccer practice or, you know, you're not really enjoying the things that you used to enjoy. So you can start the conversation by just bringing up your observations in a gentle way. Um, I also think it's important um, with people who are experiencing depression, they sometimes can feel a sense of burden that they are a burden. And so it's also, I think, really crucial that as you're having the conversation, you just try to, you know, really make sure that that person knows that you want to be there with them, that this is important, that um, you want them to be able to talk to you or talk to someone because they're an important person and because they're loved. So I think that can be a great starting place. And then certainly assuring them that help is available and that this is not a permanent feeling for them. That's another thing that can happen with people who are experiencing depression, um, specifically adolescents, is that they feel it's a very permanent situation. And it's not, it's treatable. So we want to give them that hope and then help them seek out a professional. So along with them, um, you know, let's look at some therapists maybe. Where would you like to see a therapist? Um, So Lehigh Valley has uh, school-based behavioral health services in many schools and many schools have um, services that can support a child who's experiencing um, some mental illness or depression. So that would be my starting point for support or the primary care uh, physician as well would be another place to start. Yeah, that's great. I love giving them hope and letting them know that they aren't a burden. Yeah. It's 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 got to be hard as a parent when you notice this and trying to reach out. How do you help the parents not feel like they did something wrong? Certainly, I think it's important to let parents know that you support them as well and that you acknowledge that this isn't their fault. Even if someone has an anxiety disorder or depression as a parent, it doesn't mean that they necessarily cause this on their child. Um, but it can help them in some ways because they understand what their child is going through if they've dealt with the same issue. Oh, because they've experienced it. Yeah, absolutely. And so I think they can use whatever coping mechanisms they've learned through their experiences to help their child. That's great. So let's, let's shift into the family because your family is your support mechanism. It's the place where 
you can go for help. So how does your family and your family environment impact mental health and emotional well-being? Well, certainly uh, being able to have an open conversation about how you're feeling is is helpful. So um, right there um, is, is a good starting place, right? So that we're, we're like we talked about earlier, making sure that, that we're open and available for that conversation. Um, we have a supportive viewpoint of mental health. It's, it's something we freely discuss in our household um, and that we help each other, right? So um, I know I keep going back to your, to your dinner table activity, but really um, this is all of us sharing. And so I think it can be empowering for a child when a parent says sometimes, like I experience sadness, right? So, you know, these are some things that I do to help myself. Um, why don't we do this together? Why don't we spend some time together? Why don't we um, talk about it a little bit? So I think family can really be supportive in that way, creating that safe and protective space. And how does the family environment impact the mental health of kids? I mean, not... We're making it sound so easy. Oh, yes, <laughs> our home is beautiful, sunshine, lollipops, flowers. But we know that there's difficulty, there's challenges that families face that run the gamut. So how does that impact a child and what can we do when these challenges come before us? I think... Recognizing that everyone's family structure can be different. Mm -hmm. You know, there are families with two parents. There are families with single parents. There are families with divorced or separated parents. And certainly, you know, all of those different family structures can affect a child's development um, and sense of well-being. Um, I think just being consistent with trying to provide a structured home environment, whether it's in one home or two homes, is, is the key. And trying to maintain that open relationship amongst all of the people who are helping raise that child. That's a great point, that routine and something they can rely on, even if they're going from place to place and there's change involved. Uh, that that leads me to the question about the impact of divorce and the effects of divorce on a child. That we talked about how change is difficult on kids. That's a big change. So what what does divorce do to a child? Yes, divorce can be uh, have a major impact on a child's well being, on their mental health, as can other significant losses. So death of a loved one. Um, through COVID, we saw many parents who lost employment. So changes in income can be very stressful for kids. I think that it's important we recognize that sometimes even when we don't think that they're paying attention or we think we're having a secret conversation, they're still listening, they're still absorbing from the environment. Um, and so I think it's important to point it out, right? Um, we're experiencing this together, right? This is a, a stressful and, and um, huge change for our whole family. So how are we going to handle it together? How are we going to communicate through this? So I think that that's a very important, um, just the line of communication to establish that and really help that child to 
ensure that or assure to them that they will be supported throughout, right? So if it's a divorce, right, um, maybe we're separating, we're going to have two households now, uh, but we're here and we're going to help you through that. This is a big problem. It's it's a big, too big for one person to handle. So we're going to do our best to handle it together and make sure that you're taken care of and make sure that um, we're supporting you through it. And any feelings that you have about it or any any stressful thoughts you have about it, share them, right? So we can address them. So I think communication and being open um, is very helpful through some of those really challenging experiences we have in our families uh, because it isn't easy and it is not sunshine all the time, right? But even in the rain, we're together in the rain. <laughs> so yeah, that, I, I just love that. Message. I think parents try and shelter their kids from trouble, especially if it's something like the loss of a job or reduction of income or even things like food insecurity, that you're tr just trying to support your family. So you want to hide it from your kids. But I love that, sharing it with them, making sure that they recognize that everybody's in it together. Yeah, That's really, really great. So uh, back to divorce, it, is there an age where it's hardest on kids when they're younger, older, or is it just any age that's a, a traumatic impact on their life? I certainly think it can affect all children at any age, but probably cognitively speaking and developmentally speaking, the school-age children can be most impacted, particularly around age 11. Oh, that's interesting. And what is it about age 11 that, that has that biggest impact? I think certainly it could be just, you know, they're at a, a certain level of understanding uh, developmentally. Um, they're cognizant of the world around them, um, and they've developed very close relationships with their caregivers. And certainly that disruption um, can be quite impactful for them. Yeah. I feel like old enough to know what is going on, but still too young to feel confident in taking care of myself maybe. Mm -hmm. So now right. who's going to yeah. take care of me? This is all happening around me. Absolutely. Who's going to, who's going to take care of me? And, and I think that's why it hits those, those kids at that middle age. Um, so hard. You know, some parents think it's better to stay unhappily married than it is to divorce. Do you have any thoughts on that? Is that, we, we talked about how kids are so observant mm -hmm. and better to communicate with them. What are your thoughts on those that decide to stay unhappily married versus proceed with a divorce? I, f I feel like one of the things to remember is that every moment when your child's in front of you, you're modeling. So they're seeing what you're experiencing and how you're handling those things. And so you know, there are moments we all want to take back. I can certainly <laughs> think of my own. But, but it's you a know, long list. A long list. A long list. So I think that's an important for, thing for everyone Absolutely. to hear, too, is that, you know, there are always times that you want to take back or things that you think, well, maybe I could have handled that a little better. But that's okay because you can even say, well, oh, probably could have handled that a little bit better, right? That's an okay thing to say. Um, admitting or having your own accountability, I think, is also um, important for a child to see modeled, but certainly in your relationship, in your, um, that you're modeling, you're modeling that for your child. And so they're looking to you, um, to, to, as to what's normal or, um, what is, uh, 
tolerated in a relationship. So, um, you know, sometimes I think that handling a divorce in a, in a healthy way and communicating along the way is, is the best option, you know, uh, because you really are um, modeling that growth and, and self-care and health um, for your child. Oh, that's great. That's excellent. So um, thank you so much for being with us today. Uh, I'd love for you both to just share whatever you think is most important that you'd like our audience to remember from today's discussion. And Monica, we'll start with you. Okay. So um, thank you for having me today. Uh, I certainly want parents to remember that um, we as pediatricians, as healthcare providers are here to help you. We're here to help you, um, support you as you raise your children, support you in helping them through physical and mental challenges and providing resources to guide you along the way so your children can grow to be healthy, happy adults. Awesome. Thank you. Thus, well, well, that was wonderful, Monica. And I, I'm so thankful to be here with the two of you today. This is such an important topic, and so I'm so happy that we can talk about it. I, I think what I would uh, would leave everyone with is this: this matters. This matters very, very much. Your mental health, your child's mental health, matters. And so, any question you have, um, even if you're thinking, "Ah, oh, should I really ask this? Is this really important?" It's important. And, and you have every right to ask it. And so um, if you're feeling like you need support or if you're feeling like you notice something uh, going on with your child, but you're just not sure, it's okay to, to come to the professionals uh, like your primary care or, you know, uh, mental health services and say, um, I just have some questions. I want to make sure everything's okay. Um, that's always the good way to go. And it matters. So that's what I'd lead with. Leave Great. With. Thank you. To learn more about children's mental health, visit lvhn.org slash children's mental health. For more kid-focused health tips, advice, and must-know news about Lehigh Valley Riley Children's Hospital, follow us on Facebook and Instagram at LVHN Children. And remember, every parent needs a partner through parenthood. So make sure to subscribe or follow Because They're Kids wherever you get your podcasts so you never miss an episode.